This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Laguna Talk. Back again with you guys for another show for another episode of our Let's Talk Arsenal series and our Let's Talk Arsenal fans series in particular for episode three. Each show I'm joined by a guest, a recognisable face within the Arsenal community to talk about themselves and a little bit about their interactions with Arsenal and Arsenal fans on social media as well and how they basically got to the stage here with Arsenal that they are. I'm very happy to be joined by CBS soccer correspondent James Bench. How are you doing, mate? Are you well? Yeah, I'm very well, thanks. I'm very well. Good stuff. I'm loving the fact you've got this new microphone. The dulcet tones coming through crisp and clear. It's great. <laughs> it's the sort of professionalism that uh, I very rarely show in my job. It's uh, no, it's nice. We uh, appreciate audio quality always. Our, our commenters are always like, oh, I'm not so sure about his audio quality, not sure about her audio quality. And then, yes, I think we're going to get some positive feedback from this already from the software, the hardware side of things. Um, of course, you can check out already episode one and two. Uh, we've talked to Lee Judges and Kevin Campbell so far. We've got some really good guests lined up further down the line as well. But, James, I'm really interested to talk to you because, of course, you, you're very much integrated in the world of Arsenal throughout your career and specifically the reporting of Arsenal, trans for window chaos, uh, press room conference questioning uh, that comes up a lot. And I suppose when we think about kind of Arsenal reporting, yourself alongside a number of others come forward as, as one of the big key faces of it. Does does that overrule you at times? Are you aware of, of kind of the the, the situation of, of fans coming to you always for information? And, and how is it that, that that came about for you? Yeah, we well, can't really escape it, can you? Um, I'm quite lucky with the job I do now that I don't I don't really have to worry about that anymore. Um, mm. I'm lucky enough that kind of, you know, within the con- con- confines of the, mostly the confines of the Premier League, I kind of go wherever interests me. Um, but obviously that does mean Arsenal a lot because, um, you know, they're the, the the club I covered for for all my career. And yeah, you, you are very aware of, um, I think, you know, as much as I don't, you know, no one gets into this job out of a mm. desire for a public profile. Um, if if we did, well, maybe some people do. I certainly didn't. Mm. Um, but I don't. I don't 
know anyone that does. I think obviously you know it's part and parcel of it if you're doing football journalism. Um, not that, that was ever something I desperately wanted to do at the outset, but um, it, it has changed even in the you know when you when you do this early on and you're kind of you know you are going to matches but you don't have a public persona so to speak mm. or at least a, a social media persona. Um, it's there's much less of a conversation around what you do. And I think that's the one thing I found very odd is that people is understanding that people talk about you um, Mm. and that people have opinions about what you do, um, (laughs) which you have to sort of accept, you know, that's, it's not always got to be part and parcel of the job, but um, you know, if you do well at covering a club or if you do a lot of coverage of a club, you just kind of have to accept that it, it, it comes with it. It's par for the course, but it's very strange. Um, you know, I think you're always conscious as well of you've got multiple people to serve. You know, when, when I was at football dot London, you know, I always, you always need to think about who, what have I got for tomorrow? What have I got to write for tomorrow? Post-match or pre-match or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, in the press conferences, what's my, what's the piece I think people want to read, but you have to balance that out with what's the information people really want to know right now. And, um, that can sometimes mean you ask um, questions that are, I mean, that's, you know, that, that, but I, you know, I also have to make sure that, you know, I'm serving a generalist audience and an expert audience and, and, Mm. and also make sure that what I'm doing is something that whether it's uh, in print, online video, however, that it's something people engage with. And that can sometimes mean asking questions or, going down rabbit holes people didn't think they wanted to know about, but you kind of have to trust your own judgment. You have to trust your editor's judgment, but you have to listen to what fans are are saying to you and saying, Mm. these are what we think are the important issues of the day. And, you know, obviously if if a lot of fans are talking about something, then part of your job is to, is to say, look, fans are talking about this. What can I offer through my insight, my access, however it works. So it is very strange. That's a very rambling answer. I'm not even sure it answers the question. No, the reason why I asked the multifaceted line was because so much comes out of it as, as there to pick apart. And the first thing that kind of stuck out to me with the answer was the fact that you said that this isn't what you initially realized doing kind of with your life. So what was the initial kind of idea when you were a youngster? Not that you aren't a youngster now, of course. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 21 years young. Um, so, it depends how far back you want to go. Um, as far as you like. Well, for most of my life, and this is maybe a bit sad, but I don't give a shit. Um, <laughs> I wanted, there was a specific university I wanted to go to. And mm. I didn't really think beyond that. And I went to that university. Um, Are you ashamed of it? Because you feel like you're avoiding saying it. <laughs> just, well, people make judgment calls when you say you went to Oxford. Um right. But, you know, I don't, I'm not, I'm absolutely not ashamed of it. Not in the slightest, no. but it does, um, it informs how people see you, I think. Mm-hmm. But I don't, you know, I don't give a shit. I've been to Oxford, um, it's lovely. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> it, well, that was, it was a great, it was a great privilege and opportunity to go there. Um, mm. I, I'm not particularly from a family. My, my mother didn't went to go to university. My father was the first person in his family to go to university, mm. um, a teacher. And at the, you know, my mum started off as a midwife has, has risen up through the ranks. So mm. of, of the NHS, so not particularly, um, you know, that sort of person, which is kind of, yeah. I always have to caveat when I talk about the fact that I went to Oxford. Um, and that was the thing. And then it kind of, so it did take a little while for me to work out what I actually wanted to do when I mm. left, but I got very into journalism at the university. Um, I, 
edited the university newspaper, edited the music section. I think once I realized it was journalism for me, I always wanted to, the two things I wanted to do were either, and they're very different, was to write for the NME uh, slash, Mm. you know, write musical for for music publication. I think it's been pretty clear for a while that that particular avenue is pretty dead. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the opportunities are really limited. Um, Also doing my master's in journalism, which I did at Goldsmiths, in between a brief career break um, working in the city, which was always about earning the money to pay for uh, a, a, a master's in journalism because mm. those things are expensive. <laughs> um, <laughs> I uh, did a lot of writing there around housing. Um, you may, people will not remember this, but about five, six years ago, there was a major protest in Hoxton um, around mm. a place called the New Era Estate. And I got very into writing about that kind of, it was very, it became a national story and there was something amazing about having been on the ground and I'd uh, interviewed Russell Brand because he got really mm. into this protest and, and I managed to know, get to know the families there really well mm. um, that had fought against this conglomerate um, US based company that intended to pretty much force them out and turn it into luxury flats in Hoxton. Um, that was the stuff I thought I wanted to do. Uh, then some work experience came along at the Evening Standard um, on the sports desk, and it, it has all snowballed from there. Um, it's been fantastic. It is a is a privilege, and I certainly wouldn't swap it now. But uh, yeah, I think a lot of people in this profession, and you talk to a lot of people, and it sort of is the dream. And I understand why. Um, it is fantastic. It's a privilege to to do this sort of job to mm. to be able to speak to. Uh, footballers to be able to go to matches um it is a real privilege but yeah it was never something I really you know football was a you know it was a hobby a pastime it was a lot more like something I could keep on the side and I mean also because it it it, it massively changes how you experience this sport um mm. you know obviously I grew up an Arsenal fan um have you know a great affection and affinity for them and but it does change when you're uh the way i always put it is if you were really into sausages you would probably be well advised to not go to a sausage factory and I, I mean, I, I have it's like never meet your hero for sausages yes yeah um i mean i i loved covering arsenal and writing about arsenal mm. and meet you meet some people there who work at arsenal who who are some of the most knowledgeable fans who 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 work with real passion, whether they're a fan or not, I should say as well, and who really understand the values of the football club and are everything you would want from an Arsenal employee. But they have, you know, when you're inside there, you have to make compromises. You have to do things for the business rather than for the club. Um, and equally, when you're when you're covering it, you have to kind of sometimes, you know, see their point of view. You have to kind of dive deep into the you can't just you can't ignore the stuff that you would maybe just ignore if you were a fan you don't have to i mean the great example today as we're talking is is newcastle you know if you're a newcastle fan you're under no obligation whatsoever to you know get too deep into the saudi arabia stuff if you're a newcastle journalist you you need to address this you need to be asking tough questions about this that's a challenge when you cover the club you support um and it's and it also because you know you, you you go and cover other clubs, and you get to know the people there, and they're fantastic, and they really understand the values of their club, and they're trying to do a, a great by their club. So, you know, you don't sort of. 
go, oh, I hate West Ham or I hate Chelsea because you mm. know people there and you know that what they're trying to do and that they're trying to do the right thing by their club. And so you don't, you, don't, you want them to be successful just like you want people at Arsenal to be successful. Mm. Sadly, of course, this being football, not everyone can be successful. But it, mm. it does hugely change how you experience the whole, the whole sport. You recently kind of broke away from Arsenal specifically by moving to... What did, did you want to make that choice? Was that an avenue that kind of opened up for you? Or did you really kind of search to to, to have... Not necessarily, I don't want to describe it as a break, but, you know, just a change of not being specifically Arsenal anymore? Uh, yeah, it's hard covering one club every day. Um, <laughs> it just... Uh, why, I mean, it's, been, it it's a fantastic why? opportunity. Why is it hard covering? Because you say it's the team you support, and obviously I come from the same perspective as someone covering Arsenal every day for my job now. And am I? Should I be worried? <laughs> is this something I'm going to find um, out? Is that? I think it just becomes very tiring thinking mm. about that one thing every day, and it, it occupies your professional thoughts, and then of course it still occupies your, you know, your personal thoughts. Mm. Um, and because it's one club and because, you know, in, in the year years we're in now, content is king, you have to produce a hell of a lot of content around one club. And that's a, a real sort of mental strain. I, you know, I, I love my time working at The Standard, love my time working at Football.London. Partly, the, you know, the big reason for moving on was working for one of the biggest media organisations in the world and somewhere that gave me a great opportunity to to cover more and to do more and to you know yeah it was a step up natural thing that you do in your career and i would you know i'd love to just write for them just for them just write about arsenal and i do write a hell of a lot more about arsenal than i do any other team that's not in the champions league or europa league Mm. um but it, it it's draining it's the you know i had a great example of this is i'm was really grateful over the last few weeks that i wasn't working in an arsenal focused publication when everyone was talking about charlie patino because <laughs> when you've done it enough, mm. you, you see, you have to, you know, it has to come out every year. People want to know who is the next young superstar. And it's mm. on, you know, you, you have responsibility to be careful about how you talk about these players. But then the the, you, the community at large also have responsibility to not get carried away. You know, I mean, when Granite Xhaka went down for three months, I was, my replies were full of people going, oh, this is Patino's time to shine. It's not. You know, he's just—he's a teenager. <laughs> he's never played a, a, a senior game at all. Yeah. And but you have. So it's going back to what I was talking about earlier about um, reflecting what the audiences want to talk about. So someone like you know the, a club like Arsenal in particular, they always want to talk about the next wonder kid. You always need to be across everything that's going on at under twenty three level, under eighteen level, under sixteen, under fifteen level. Uh, it's a huge amount of minutiae. Um, you have to kind of, you have to be across everything that's happening with every loanee and you have to sort of be, be able to talk about that one club in incredible depth. And, you know, I just sort of found like things like you just, you'd hardly ever see Liverpool when they won the Premier League because, yeah. you know, that, that was the thing for me. I was like, hardly, you know, when they won the title, oh, I've just probably seen about half a dozen of their games and mm. two or three in person. Um, so that was part of it, just kind of seeing that there is a world beyond Arsenal. Um, yeah. Hard as that might be to imagine. It, it, that was just, for me, that was a big part of it, was 
but I mean, also, you know, it's just, it was just an amazing opportunity and it, it would have taken something like that to stop covering Arsenal. And I do, as I say, I do still write about them. I'm still sort of sat away in the corner in most press conferences. Most I emphasise. I mean, I actually haven't been to a game this season. The first mm. one will be um, the Monday back. Uh, Is that strange? A bit odd. It, it's odd also because though, you know, you know the, the people that are there and you kind of, that actually a big part of it is is missing the the camaraderie of of being around um colleagues that you used to see you know you used to see an awful lot of and mm. i think actually that a lot of that as well changed with covid like <laughs> you lose a hell of a lot of the the press box camaraderie when you can't go in the press box um mm. that's a super minor thing but just in my head right now but yeah um it was it was great covering Arsenal day in day out, but it's really mentally draining. Is there a mental drain on the social side with obviously being one of the the best followed kind of people? Very, as soon as you get that blue tick as well, and you're, you're talking about Arsenal with transfers in particular, it, it garners response no matter what you tweet it could be about as i mean let's use your example talk about sausages uh and someone's gonna ask you transfer news question mark does that become a drain um yeah definitely i think particularly it varies and you know it, it, it varies on a personal level because kind mm. of the during a transfer window the drip drip never changes you know it's the transfer window is the time people tweet you out of the blue people kind of <laughs> whatever you put out and you know i mean i'm someone that a, a lot of my colleagues don't and that's up to them but i kind of just will use twitter to write about anything i want i will write yeah. about politics music films whatever i feel like likewise um and <laughs> the drip drip of sort of in the summer whatever you put out someone asking you about a transfer rumor mm. is really tiring um equally sort of this summer you you know you can you can control that or you can attempt to uh the control's the wrong word because sometimes it just gets really bloody annoying and you just kind of want to um you just can't you can't switch off people keep have you ever blocked out of frustration like just i've just... blocked i have blocked dozens and dozens of because they just, if people yeah. just annoy me there's this strange thing where people seem to think that they have the right to just access you yeah, forever. And they could, you know, also that blocking is in any way infringing upon them. If I don't like want to talk to you, I might block you. <laughs> if I don't want you yeah. to talk to me, I might block you. It's nothing personal because I don't mm. know you. I'm not passing judgment on you as a person. You know, if I blocked a colleague or a friend on Twitter, yeah. that, you know, that is personal, but, some stranger with a Emil Smith Rowe or a Bakayo Saka or Nicola Pepe, oh, all yeah. are valid. Favourites, yeah. <laughs> Avi. You know, I don't really, and, and if all you're replying back to me with is nonsense or demands of, of my time, I don't gone, really want you about. to engage with me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think kind of there's a difference between blocking and muting as well. I generally kind of try and mute the trolls more because... Mm. For me, I think it's more fun the idea that they think they're getting a rise out of you, um, and they, they don't. You, you don't even see them. Whereas mm. for people that just annoy me, I'll block them because you know I want them to know. Shut up. <laughs> the thing yeah. is, it's such a it's such a small issue. It's not though, is it? Because it's 
Because if you're if you're doing this day in day out, and you've got say, and obviously following you on Twitter, and if you tweet something and say is either an exclusive, or you're following on a line of threads from a different exclusive from a different reporter, there is hundreds of replies that go asking how much is it going to be when are they coming is this real this is fake news like criticizing or questioning the validity of the story yeah. that that's not like is it that that's that stuff when you really do your job is you're right that is much more yeah. frustrating i think particularly yeah. um when you say for instance put out a story and you know i'll put out all the info i get but i might it might be for instance uh i remember emmy martinez um that one had a lot of twists and turns to it towards the end. And I remember Brighton came in for him at the last minute and you'd just be putting in things like that. And people go, what's the fee? And I was like, but the, the, these are things that are still live. It's yeah. live issues. And it's a real challenge. I think for people to understand that this isn't like, I don't just ring up. There isn't one not fontable knowledge that you can ring up. And if he comes back to you or he, she comes back to you, there you go. They'll tell you everything. They'll tell you the wages. They'll tell you the, the fee. You know, you have to kind of go and construct this from an awful lot of different sources, an awful lot of different people, which is why, you know, in the summer you will hear different things from different people because they're talking to different people because they have access to different people. And it doesn't necessarily mean they're wrong because we, we can only construct what we know based on, on what we hear. I mean, there was so much talk in the summer about um, Erdegaard and, madison and mm. all those things and the challenge is we will be told things that we then have to apply before you even hear it i might be told something that i then have to apply the tw my twitter audiences things to like who is why am i being told this mm. what purpose is it serving you know is this about securing someone a new contract am i you know I was, I was told, for instance, that Arsenal were really interested in Hakan Chalanolu, but yeah. I don't really think they were. But no. I knew that he's someone that was on the list. Mm. But so you do end up having to, you can only construct, you can only tell people what you can work out based on what people are telling you, what people maybe aren't, you know, what people are, are telling you some things and then going, can't tell you that. Um, and I think almost it, 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 a lot of the time, it's like the people on Twitter kind of want to hand their own crick crick critical faculties over to us yeah um they want us to assess the merits of each other's stories they want us to um tell you whether it's going to be a good deal which i mean i you know i might do in a separate thing but when we're reporting information we, everyone is doing the best that they can no one is out here to screw each other over i hate the you know, the manufactured controversies between reporters if we just happen to have information that diverges it's not mm -hmm. like we're slagging each other off no um it's just where we're getting our information from and generally you know everyone i know in the arsenal world and, and the rest of the industry are really supportive of each other and they do kind of want you know no one wants to criticize or or slag off other people's work mm. Is it difficult then when you see, say, if you get a bit of information um, and say one of your contemporaries has tweeted out something to the contrary, do you, does that ever give you a second thought about publishing it, knowing that? Or do you just think, no, this is my job and I'm putting this information out? So it's very risky in life in general to say something won't happen. So, mm. you know, if I said, if yeah. I'd reported in the summer a lot, Mm. that Martin Erdegaard was Arsenal's top target. Um, 
if, if you, you but if flip that around, say you say that Erdegaard will not happen. Sure. Right. So I can, you know, I can tell you now about a thing and say, this is going, this, I think this will happen. Or, you know, mm-hmm. the expectation is this is happening. Or someone is working towards making this thing happen, which was what I kind of said a lot with, with Erdegaard. Mm-hmm. But something could have come up. Something could have gone wrong at the last mm-hmm. minute. And, you know, you wouldn't be wrong. But I think the difference is when you say something won't happen, you are kind of, anything changes. You, you, yeah. I, it's a bit more, Binary. a lot more foolish saying something yeah. won't happen because then you're kind of making a prediction for us. And I try not, I just try not to, um, unless it's something that it's really sort of nonsense, um, that it's really kind of valuable to just sort of shut down. If fans kind of need to know it's not true, I think that would be the view. If it's someone else's reporting on a transfer, I'm not that, I'm not that keen on, I, I, People want you to, your editors want you to, because it's good content, it's fresh, it feeds the, <laughs> yeah. the rumour mill. But it's it's very high risk to if someone's saying something will happen, to turn around and say it won't happen. Yeah. And I, and it's just not, it's not good form. It's not a nice thing to do. Um, so unless you're 100%, 100% certain, which obviously you should be when you say something will happen, but there is that thing you look, you, you know, you can look a fool. It's, uh, yeah. It's not a great look. Someone somewhere is saying it's going to happen. You know, are you, are you 100% certain it won't? Sorry, yeah, that was a bit of an unclear answer. But no, 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 it made complete sense. I think that it's really difficult as well because of uh, you film relationships between between uh, reporters. So if if you've heard something from one of your sources that just differs from someone else's sources and it says the complete wrong thing, that it becomes a story to say, like, go and go and find someone that's that's clear evidence to suggest otherwise and then going straight into them saying, no, that that's not right. Uh, and if they're at a different publication or something, because that creates a story. And then you know the responsibility, as we talked about before, that anything you say is going to get 50, 100, 150 replies to it. And so if there's like a, <laughs> not a fight, but, you know, a disagreement between reporters, that's going to cause a massive amount of storm and retweet. So, and the next kind of line that I wanted to ask you on was the the idea of ITKs. And I know you're very much aware of these, the, the phenomenon that exists and the fact that some now have become verified on Twitter themselves, <laughs> which gives them more kind of a, for validity is a, a loose word I would use. But does, as, a, as someone who's obviously been reporting on Arsenal for a long time, does that frustrate? Does it get to you, or do you just separate it entirely from from your own work? No, not at all. That doesn't frustrate me. Um, I think because you have to accept that there are people out there that don't work in the media that know people in football or that know that have access to information. So I think it's a risky business to automatically, you know, decry anything as this is nonsense because this person doesn't have a blue tick or this person isn't a proper journalist. You can still find out information being a journalist or not. Um, Of course you take it with a pinch of salt. I always, you know, there are always levels of, there are levels that you kind of need need to go to. So the one thing I always say with with an ITK and there are sometimes good reasons for this, but if someone's not putting their real name to it, you know, that is a, a thing to consider when you kind of decide whether you want to believe someone, you know, if someone's not, what's at stake for them if they're wrong, you know, if it's a, if it's the (laughs) Arsenal gerbil who I happen to know was right. Yes. um, We both know personally. (laughs) Yeah, indeed. Um, And I didn't know personally at the time, 
and so therefore I saw it's from the Arsenal gerbil. Mm. You know, if that's wrong, they'll just delete their account and they could start yeah. over again. Um, you know, that the things like that are important. <laughs> if it's a if it's a fan, a season ticket holder on social media, then maybe you do kind of want to do a bit of digging around on something like that. You wouldn't, I would never sort of treat something. I mean, the same as a reporter, to be honest. You, I'd never treat something that someone says, even, you know, the best Arsenal reporters out there, mm. you know, naming no names. We know who I'm talking about, you know, the very yeah, best. I would never treat anything they write as just fact. You should always sort of, if you need to write about it, go and stand it up. Same as, and I would do, you know, the same thing, probably more vigorously. Do the same thing with, um, you know, a, an account I see on Twitter. Um, and look, maybe if it's, as I say, the Arsenal gazelle, uh, I might, <laughs> and it, that you know, it's it's not a rumour that makes sense that they're linking Arsenal with a, a move for another £50 million centre-back. I'm, you know, I might just discard something like that if it does not make any logical sense to me whatsoever. Mm. And you kind of run the risk there that I, I've done that before. I've, <laughs> I've looked at things that have been out on there on Twitter and thought, mm, should I dig around on that? I haven't. And then, you know, someone else goes and does it. Another journalist goes and does it and you go, God, I should have, I should have looked that up. But mm. um, yeah, they do what they want to do. Uh, there's obviously some people there that are out there scamming to make, make a few quid. Mm. Um, there are obviously people, but then there are obviously people doing that in every walk of life. So I try not to act like it, I, I, you know, give people the benefit of the doubt. You kind of think what's the value in them lying as well. Mm. I think we, uh, you may have even seen on my Twitter feed, we did the hashtag ITK Rater thing over the summer. And uh, like, there was kind of like a rule list with it. It was like, one, uh, have they suggested a specific figure when talking about a player? Have they given a time frame? Do they have an avatar? Have they got a name associated with their account? Are they verified? All mm. these kind of things. And it's amazing how yet still um, it gets so much attention. And obviously one of the tactics that gets used sometimes is there'll be multiple accounts that have, say, built up a group of followers. They'll retweet each other, which builds in the eyes of, say, just your average Joe validity in that tweet because it's getting so many retweets or they've got so many followers, etc. So it must it must be frustrating. But as we know, and I know the gerbil personally, I mean, we make no secret that it's Mike from the Gunas podcast. So this, I mean, that, it, he got very good information on that. So um it's and it, and it exists like i remember getting a, a, a text about gabrielle when we were signing from leo from a friend and it just turned out to be true like a few weeks later and it was not yet reported but i was like i've heard nothing on this like i can't say this is going to be true and then it happens like it's there's so many people in this world that have so many friends that have friends elsewhere that there is going to be lines of truth along these and it's as you say sifting through those that proves to be really tricky and where you then kind of put you in a game of poker put your chips down on on what could be true and, and what is a, a falsehood um i do want to ask you more about kind of what you're doing now and, and that break away from from arsenal and and actually how that's maybe affected kind of your fandom of arsenal you still i know that you still do a lot of coverage of arsenal but as mm. your as the fact of the way you support the team changed because of not being specifically an arsenal reporter now yeah actually going back to what we were saying before it's a bit mm. there's a bit more removal from it um, you know, I, I feel like I can kind of enjoy particularly if it's a game that I kind of have just, I'm just watching for my own enjoyment. I feel like if it goes well, I can at least enjoy it as, as more of a fan. Um, yeah. I mean, equally at the same time, you do know that it's only kind of a matter of days before you will have to write something 
critical yeah. or otherwise, and often quite quite critical of late about Arsenal. So, I mean, I don't think you know. Once you kind of get into this world, you can't turn off your whether it's critical, analytical, analytical however you however you choose to approach Arsenal, whatever angle you go at, whether it's you know squad building, you can't just turn that off. But it's a bit nicer. It's a bit nicer sometimes just having a beer, watching the Arsenal and. <laughs> Um, you know, get, I mean, so the North London Derby, actually I'd been at weddings. I was, was going to go to that, but I'd been at weddings. So I couldn't even, um, I didn't even see the first half, um, until after. And there was something very enjoyable about getting back home, um, sitting down and watching Tottenham (laughs) absolutely labor to even get a sniff of the game. Mm. Um, that was great. You know, that's that, that side of it, I think is something that, that you lose very quickly because you know when when you're in a when you're at a North London derby you're worried about filing you need to be ready for what this means for both clubs pieces like that so it's fun to just watch them when they play well which is rare yeah no I, I can empathize completely I mean since starting with FL and and doing my job now, it's amazing how quickly things have changed. I mean, my first game I'm going to that I'm going to be able to genuinely watch is Villa. I'm going to it um, and that's the first time I'm going to be able to go to a game and not worry about the post-match report and then the, the show after the game and stuff like that, which I love being in the environment. But you do take it for granted, I think, sometimes uh, from just a fan perspective watching the, watching games. And and yeah, it's, it's, it's intriguing. So uh, to, to kind of round things off in the last five, ten minutes, I'd I do not want to let you escape without getting some thoughts on current <laughs> current times and what's going on at the moment with with the club. It's obviously wasn't the best of starts. We we turned things around very quickly with those three wins against uh, Norwich, Burnley, and, and then Spurs, and then the draw against Brighton. I think brought much of the vocal social media fan base very much back down to earth again um, <laughs> with a crash, as it often does. Um, but how how what do you make of? of the situation right now my to just give you kind of context of, of my angle where i'm coming from i would very much was after Villarreal that i thought any other club at this point probably would change the coach and we know that arsenal aren't on that thread and don't tend to do that arteta had a horrible start to the season which never really was going to change my view but then those games especially the north london derby showed me in combination with the signings that we made this summer that you know, I can see a path forwards um, and it does want to make me get back on the train again, but I still want to see kind of a consistent style established. Do you, how, how are you feeling around the club from a, from not from a reporter standpoint, but from a genuine fan standpoint? I mean, to be honest, I think it's the same, I, you know, mm. going back to what we were saying earlier, you can't, I can't really separate the two anymore. And I, yeah. I look at the harsh, the harsh reality of things is it, if it's going anywhere, it's going anywhere quite slowly. Um, you know, I thought after the Villarreal, I agree with you entirely that after the Villarreal game, I think most most clubs would look at that and go, we don't have the right man for the job. And that, for me, what it comes down to is this job is a job that is beyond most managers. Mm. And sadly, you have to include Mikel Arteta in this. And maybe you just can't get the managers capable of doing this job because it's a culture reset, a squad reset, uh, an attempt to build an identity that, that, that vanished pretty quickly under Unai Emery. It is a massive job. It's a job in which Mikel Arteta has deliberately overburdened himself um, by pushing to be made manager. 
and you know, I don't necessarily blame anyone for that. Everyone would believe, you know, put uh, all of us in Mikel Arteta's position. I think most of us mm. would say, yes, I, you know, I believe if you're a person like him, I believe I can do more. I believe I can do be a manager, not just a coach. Mm. But um, you know, on the pitch, the attack has never been there consistently. Uh, it's been largely reliant on moments of individual brilliance, and the fact that. Tottenham had a really bad game and Arsenal put them to the sword doesn't necessarily change that for me. Um, I do think there's clearly there's clearly a man there that the club uh, and the players respect enormously, most of the players. He can be a difficult man from what I've heard. But, uh, you know, he's a man that draws respect and and can, you know, clearly make a difference off the pitch. But on it, the football's not good. Um and it's only good in patches. Mm. It is overly defensive with or without uh, a back three, back five. It just doesn't seem like it's going anywhere fast. And I, I don't think there are many managers who could get it to go somewhere fast. But I ultimately think that Mikel Arteta, Arsenal may well be successful with this set of players, but I don't think Mikel Arteta will be the man to to push them on to top four and mm. winning winning silverware. I mean, I know he has won the FA Cup, but I think to, to turn this team into a contender is going to change, going to require something more. I think he has done a lot of the work. Yeah. The, the squad right now, it's not a, it's maybe the fifth best squad in England. And I think mm. that's impressive. And it's not a million miles away from being a team. Therefore, it's not a million miles away from being a team that could finish fourth. Yeah. But I just don't, I don't see that he has the X factor, um, whether it's a Conte and look, Arsenal would not hire a Conte and Conte wouldn't go to work at somewhere like Arsenal. I don't think it's, um, he, he's just not that level. He's not mm. a coach that can win you games. He's not a Tuchel. He's not a Conte. He's not a, I mean, there are very vanishingly Klopp, few of them, a Guardiola or a Klopp. There are vanishingly few of them. And how many of them would want to work at Arsenal right now? I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe it's sort of the same thing you have with Solskjaer, mm. where and he's done this fantastically. He has got Manchester United to the position to kick on. They still need players. Arsenal still need a few players, but the the ship has been steadied. Uh, but I don't think he's the right manager to to kick on. Yeah, I, it's I. I'm, it's interesting because I hadn't looked at it in that perspective because I've always kind of looked upon the way that Unai Emery and Wenger to a lesser extent left the club when they left and it wasn't in the best scenario. I didn't feel like the club made the right appointments after Arsene Wenger but the way in which you'd say if, if say Arteta was to go tomorrow the infrastructure is there for the mm. next coach to come in uh, including the players. I, I quite like Edu which is not the most popular of opinions it seems across uh, kind of Arsenal spheres, but I appreciate kind of the work that he's done, the, the players that he's been able to move on, despite we having to pay a lot of them off. He still got them out, which was important. The players that we brought in going in the direction of lowering the average age, that, always that issue we had with sell-on value of our players. We don't have that issue anymore. Getting 25-odd million for Joe Willock, who's gone to Newcastle, and not really done anything. It was kind of... A, no, nothing at all. It was a flash in the pan, it seems. Those I, I, do, I do think that this is not... This isn't genius. This isn't sort of out of the box. box no, it's just sensible, which we haven't had. <laughs> yeah, it's just applying the most obvious plan for a club mm. in this position. And I mean, yes, credit to Edu for this, but he and 
a lot of other people on this Arsenal staff were all part of the, you know, every summer, let's just try and buy just enough to get us in the top four and mm. then we'll do our rebuild from there project. Mm. Like they're He's all... changed, though, yeah. to be fair to him. Yeah. Do you, I mean, when you said you think you don't see it happening under Arteta, at what point do you see the cord kind of being cut for him? I don't think he'll not see out this season. Um, and then it kind of obviously does depend on where they end up this season. I think mm. fifth should be the target. Obviously, you know, sixth or seventh is no disgrace. Uh, well, it's seventh. Arsenal. It should be. Seventh <laughs> yeah. is bad. Seventh is really bad. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, there's the, the cups to think about as well. I mean, I think it would be fantastic for this club to, you know, to go deep in both the League Cup and the... Um, FA Cup I think you know that could be a real sign of progress but actually it is really all about the league and and pushing on and establishing that you are the the next best team and I think there is a moment to do this now because Tottenham aren't what they were Leicester aren't what they were and yes there are good teams like Brighton a really good football team that played better football than Arsenal mm-hmm. um and that that's actually not, nothing to be ashamed about West Ham I think that you know that actually they, I think I'm sure Spurs will turn it around because they've got Kane and Son. But yeah. these are, you know, that you need to be kind of finishing top of that group, um, getting fifth place. I don't think it will even really change in the summer unless it, it is long way short of expectations. Um, his contract then would is kind of would go into its final year, I believe. Mm. Yes, two I years. Correctly. So that yeah. is the, the point where you make the decision. Everyone, as much as there's been change at Arsenal, no one needs reminding of how damaging that the years were when Wenger was managing on his final few uh, final few weeks of his contract. So they will have to make a decision that summer. Um, there's a huge. Everyone in the club is invested in Arteta. They all want him. There isn't. You didn't even hear that. You never heard the doubts. You know the doubts were external and they were really loud. And I was sharing them after the City game. I think they were really apparent. Uh, just before Christmas last year, but you didn't hear them internally. And, you know, when I, I remember everyone would be telling me great things about Unai Emery. People say, oh, you never heard about Emery. You did. You heard people say, we back him, but it can't go on like this. Mm. Here you hear them say, we back him. We we back him and we believe it won't go on like this. So there is there is that trust. But in the end, I think if if it's another eighth place position or even seventh, they will have to have a long, hard look at what, what the market offers because they've got the squad now. They do yeah. have a good squad. They, you know, and in the summer, they'll look to add a striker. They'll look to add a midfielder. It's about honing the team now, not about rebuilding it. But yeah, I, I can't, obviously, I, until we know how Arsenal do, we don't really know whether they'll keep Arteta on, but mm. a huge desire for him to succeed. Um, you know, they will give him every opportunity to make the most out of this squad. And I do think they look at him as someone that can be around for a very long time. Uh, Arsenal, obviously not Wenger length. No one will want to do a job that long anymore, I don't think. But, you know, a, a Klopp length manager, if he gets mm. things right, that seems pretty feasible to me. Same with Guardiola. If they want, if he wants to stay and he brings success, you know, uh, there's no indication from Arsenal that they'd be pushing to move on from him. Absolutely. Um, I think we all, like, at the end of the day, I'd love it for him to succeed. I'd love it to work. I think it'd be great. It's just the reality of it right now doesn't look all that optimistic, but it can change very quickly, as sport and football does. Uh, James Bench, thank you ever so much uh, for taking the time out of your morning to have a chat today. Really appreciate it. 
Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Tell people where they can find you. Uh, Twitter at James Benj. I probably have other stuff, but don't don't disturb yeah. me there. Unless you're blocked, which you know it's it's your own fault if you are. So uh, you can only say it that way. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, please make sure you like the video and subscribe to the Guna Talk if you haven't already. We'll be doing more of these. Let's talk Arsenal fans series. Uh, you can always check out episodes one and two with Lee Judges and uh, Kevin Campbell. We've got some exciting guests lined up for the rest of the series as well. Um, but other than that, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with James and for you to be listening to this as well. So see you again very soon. And as always. Up the Arsenal. It's the 90 plus minute. All your mates around, and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go, and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your McDelivery. You in? At participating restaurants 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is, that's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.